0: And we're still here at Villanova. Hopefully, you know, at some point, uh, this conversation, you know, it's going to have to end at some point. Although we could probably go for days. We're still here at Villanova. I'm still here with Professor Chaim Seyman. In the last section, in the last segment, we discussed how usually minag and halakha develop from the bottom up, from the kahal, from the people. Um, and I, An example, if we were talking about Yom Ha'atzma'ut, I would say that the, the bottom-up minhagim on Yom Ha'atzma'ut that weren't, there's no imperious dictation that this is what you're supposed to do, would be having a barbecue, going on a hike. Those are, the, those are the mitzvos ha'yom as they developed from the ground up. But now I want to take this in a little bit of a different direction in terms of how these things develop from the bottom-up and let's put this into conversation with some other things. Today, as we speak, it's Gimel Iyar, the third day of Iyar, which is the yard site of Rubshaila Steiner of Karastir. Uh, uh, Karastir is a city in north, a town in northeast Hungary. Rubshaila was known in his life as a miracle worker uh, and a tzaddik. And in recent years, we've seen that it's become a major pilgrimage site uh, around the time of his yard site, but also. All year around. So, so, Ellie,
1: Ellie, why does this happen? Why, did, why does it happen that, what about uh, that? Decades, if not centuries, after someone's death, uh, all of a sudden, um, their place uh, now becomes like a sort of a new pilgrimage site. Obviously, Uman is probably the most famous, but this one might be uh, might be number two uh, behind that. Why, why does it happen?
0: Okay, so I think there are a few things. First of all, a lot of these places were were behind the Iron Curtain for a long time. So maybe there were people that made pilgrimages to, to Uman before uh, in the past, you know, in the, in the 19th century even. Um, uh, and they say that there was never a Rosh Hashanah in Uman that didn't have Hasidim. And we'll see this year is gonna probably put, even during COVID people made it. Um, this year we'll see, you know, it's, uh, it, it's presently, Uman is presently in a war zone. Um, but uh, I would imagine that there are going to be some Hasidim that find their way there. Absolutely. You know, no matter what's going on, if they made it under under uh, under under communism, they'll make it again now. Um, but we're talking more about like the mass, the mass practice, right, where tens of thousands of people are going from America and people who from otherwise
1: don't have, right? I think the point is people who otherwise. Previously, didn't have family or geographic connections to these forms of Hasidus.
0: Yeah, you know, in, in, and even lit box. <laughs> um, So I think that there's a few things going on. One is it's just like it's like halakhically or you know, it's it's a kosher tourism, right? And, you know, you want to go, you want to see the world, you want to see places that you haven't seen. So like, there's a certain oh yeah, I'm going to I'm going to see. It's a way to get out, and it's a way to see something that you haven't seen before. That doesn't explain it all, but it, it certainly explains something. There's just a certain innate wanderlust that people have, and I want to go see something, and I want to go, go do something different. Um, you
1: know, like, I, I also wonder how much of this has to do with, you know, for so many centuries, Eretz Yisrael was the ultimate destination, and now that Eretz Yisrael is bi'adenu, and many people, in fact, live in Eretz Yisrael, you need another destination. So we go back to Europe and to Eastern Europe as the destination from which we were dreaming about Israel. Now that we're in Israel, we're back to dreaming about Eastern Europe.
0: So it's interesting you say that. There's a story with Rav Shlomo Zalman that there was a guy, he was the Rosh Hashivah in Koltura, Shlomo Zalman Arbach was the Rosh Hashivah in Koltura, And there was a bacher in the yeshiva that asked for a day off. I say why? He said, you want to be mispalel at Kivrei tzadikim. He wanted to go up to the north, to the Galil, um, you know, to to Davin at at Kvarim up north. I don't know, you know, Rubionuzon Ben Uziel or Meron. who knows? Um, and R. Shlomo Zalman, and we can connect this now back to Yom Hazi Karon, Shlomo Zalman said to him, like, you want to be mispalel at Kivrei tzadikim? The yeshiva is right across the street from Har Herzl. You know, there are fallen soldiers there, their, their tzaddikim, their kedoshim, go be mispalolah their kvarim. And you can do that, like, in between morning seder and afternoon seder. You don't have to take an entire day off. And I think that this points to what you're saying is that, like, in you need to make an—in order for it to be real, you need to make an effort, right? It's the opposite of the half-hearted halacha that we were discussing before. You're going to a kever, it has to be, like, you're—it's very, very, very intentional, uh, Which is an interesting it's an interesting thing. Another point that I think is driving what I call the dead rabbi tourism industry is there's a certain insecurity. And I I heard a a speech or part of a speech from Aaron Lopiansky recently. He didn't say this directly, but I sort of caught this as, as a subtext of what he was saying. That there's a certain insecurity. You want you, you want to daven for something. You want to daven for parnasa. You want to daven for health. You want to daven for a shidduch. You can daven to a Hu yourself, right? You don't need um, intermediaries. You don't need to like go to a tzad. You don't need the help of a tzad. You to can, some
1: degree, isn't that the age-old debate between the Hasidim
0: and Messiah? Uh, to some degree, it is, and he's definitely in the Litvak camp. But I think that you know they are that there is like a certain so I don't with, with the Hasidim I don't know if it was always insecurity I think with Hasidim it was often about connection right that you know like the Reb is going to go and I'm going to go on his coattails right but here it's about like you know, who am I to approach a Kaddish directly so this also is
1: somewhat analogous to Chaim Salvechik's point in rupture and reconstruction
0: um, yeah I think it very much is connected to his point uh, even though this is very much you know this is in some ways, you know, we're, we're talking about phenomena that are not text-centered culture. Not at we're all. talking about something which is very much. But
1: the, the the sort of religious response to insecurity.
0: A religious response to insecurity, and in a certain way, it goes back to the Rambam. The Rambam's understanding of the genesis of Avodah zarah Now, I'm not Chazal. I'm saying that some of these things, that these things are Avodah zarah I'm not. I'm not. You know, Minag Yisrael Torahu. Um, you know, uh, God forbid that I would say about you know the people who really find meaning in this um, that they're 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 not of the avodah zarah chas <laughs> v'shalom. Um, but you know, the Rambam's Genesis, the, Ram, the way that the Rambam describes the genesis of avodah zarah is that it originates, not what it became eventually, but that it originated as you know with these senses of insecurity that they wanted to die, they wanted to relate to. Powers that were well, less well, than a kaddish baruch that they could relate to personally. The Rambam's
1: kaddish baruch Hu is very abstract, and the more Rambamistic you are about its abstraction, the more there's going to need to fill the gaps with more, uh, you know, with less transcendent, more eminent uh, forms of service and worship.
0: Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Um, yeah, so those are my two things, right? So number one, you have the kosher tourism industry. And number two, you have the insecurity. So like Pesach
1: programs.
0: Well, as you're talking about the kosher tourism. Yeah. Is that, yeah, the Pesach programs, yes, that's a kosher form of tourism. And I actually have a running bet how long it's going to take before they discover the kever of some sort of, some Amora in Dubai. So that, like, now it's like, oh, I'm going to make a pilgrimage, a religious pilgrimage to or Dubai. Really, or
1: at least Paris. Well
0: oh, Paris. Uh, you know, burning of the Shahs, so Yeah, Reb Me Paris. You can, you can always, you can always make these things. But, you know, there, there's... There, there were gedolim everywhere, except Dubai, because that place was, like, invented in the 1970s. Um, so do you have anything to add to that, in addition to insecurity and closure tourism?
1: So, you know, I, th- this past uh, week was the uh, annual Shlislechala week. Mm-hmm. And um, what was interesting to me is, is, is the debate, at least the parts online I saw this year, were a little bit different. It, it was already meta. It wasn't, you know, should you have Shlislechala or not? It wasn't, is it anchored in chukas uh, agoyim or practices or not, it was already, should you be criticizing um, the minhagim of people who do it or not? So it kind of got bumped up a level. Uh, you know, what, what struck me here um, is that, you know, when we talk about the minhag, we need to break that down a little bit, right? So you'll tell me more about where the minhag of Shlisul originated. But... Um, Wherever that was, right, there today, as a result of, I would say, Instagram culture and challah-bake culture, um, all sorts of people doing it that. I don't, that they may imagine their Alta did it, but probably not. And they're not doing it as a minute of like, this is what my family did, or this is what my community did. But recent years, I've seen people like do this online and now, or you know, by word of mouth, but the online kind of spreads it and shows it, right? And 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 then it spreads. And also, right, it used to be, I guess you would bake the keys in the challah, it's now sort of morphed to baking your challah in the shape of a key, I guess. You, you hope play you got to be a pretty skilled baker uh, to, do, to pull that off. Um, so part of this is like, you know, what is the original minhag? And, and I think it is fair, whether you're a fan of this or not, to sort of point out that, like, look, something's changing here as it becomes um, maybe from something niche and local and discreet to something mass and public and... I don't say expecting, no one's gonna say you have to, but but now like this is a big, a big part of sort of how we celebrate this this week after Pesach.
0: That's interesting. So you're saying that so you're connecting the Rubshayala phenomenon to like, let's say, the Schlisslchala phenomenon to a that both are like started off and or Uman on Rosh Hashanah, that both started off as these niche practices of a very specific local subgroup of Frumayiden, um and that have now sort of gained a mass appeal just because of the public nature of things, just because of, you know, the, the Instagram culture of people taking pictures and sharing, and because it, it also, and, and this also might get back to Chaim Soloveitchik, that, you know, Chaim Soloveitchik described a reaction to a, to a disconnect, to a rupture. Um, and one of the ways that he you know that one of the reactions that he saw was that people are trying to people return to the book because they because they didn't have any sort of living um, living heritage and so what we're describing here is a different type of reaction where people don't have their own misoras but they have and imagine they they, ima- they have what they imagine their bubbies did. They imagine that their Alta baba baked cholis They imagine that the Alta baba, you know, that the alteseide went to Uman for Rosh Hashanah, or at least went to his rebbe for Rosh Hashanah. So I'm going to go to my rebbe for Rosh Hashanah. Whether or not these things are true doesn't really matter because we're disconnected from the truth. We don't have any sort of living misora on these things, and so we do what we, you know, one of the things that's that's driving this is this is this attempt to overcome that rupture but in a way very different from how professor salvadoric described it and and very almost,
1: almost the opposite right because these are all you could almost call them anti-book culture moves
0: right and it's not even like you know if mimesis is related to you know the idea of imitation it's almost like it's it's an imitation of an imitation right
1: right right so and i think i just think like, when we come to study quote the minag i think we ought to keep track of how as culture changes, as technology changes, as information exchanges change, something that's done by 30 people in a specific town, right, is now done by 300,000 people worldwide is, is different. Mm-hmm. The, other, the other sort of sense that, you know, just more about Minhuggim generally, that, that caught my eye as watching the, the kind of discussion this week. Is you know this is there's almost like right, two tropes you can use. You can mm-hmm. use the Minnig Israel Torahi, you know, Benan Shul did this, mm-hmm. and then you've got the Asher Badu Ben Libam, Chadashim Bo, and right the paragraphs almost write themselves, right? Mm-hmm. It's like which one do you press play on? And you know, to me, I got thinking, well, what's what? What is actually driving how we appreciate or how different groups? Uh, appreciate, adopt, refine and hug him, right? No one would, you know, certainly very few people would say that the orange on the Seder plate is a minig uh, that, that ought to be kept. And I think just to
0: try to just Well, I think that, that I mean, precisely, like in our circles, they don't say that because-
1: Right. Well, because what? And I want to fill in that sentence. Yes. I, I think what's happening is,
0: right, a certain group is doing
1: something and maybe it's not your shtick, but you say, look, if I respect their religious culture. I respect their motivations. I respect the way they're Ovid Hashem. I respect their aspirations. So even if I won't do it, I'm gonna certainly defend it as minig Yisrael Torahi and then say, maybe it's not my minig. But as soon as you're more suspect of the motivation, suspect of the religious culture, suspect that, that's when the chadashim uh, ikaruv bo asher badu milibam comes in. So I just think in these discussions, it's helpful to be a little more forthright as to the process that's actually happening as we sift through or different communities sift through different practices that emerge from Jews worldwide um and, and decide which ones are adopted as minnag, and then affect you know and then once they're minug, as you would say you know, a generation or two later, they wind up in Rashi's script on a dual-column page with mm-hmm. gold uh, glit on the on the margins and a uh, faux leather binding, and they become you know minhag. And other ones are just you know, oh, those weird people did whatever.
0: Right. So, I'm gonna oversimplify that. I think what you know, I would say that the divisions between different groups were the, the divisions were, were 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 vertical, right? You had you know, as the Rishonai, the late Rishonay of Ashkenaz would say, "Nara, Nara, That like every place, every place has its own Minhagim, right? And that every river
1: flows in its direction. I
0: think. Correct. I mean, every river goes in its channel, right? right. Um, and and so you have, you know, there's this vertical division that you know you have, you know, this geographical region and this geographical region and this, region, and they're all on the same playing field. They're all equally legitimate. But if this is your minhug, you go with this. If this is your minhug, you go with that. And as long as it's an established minhug within your locale, it's a great thing, right? And you continue with it. Now, what you're talking about is a more, is is a horizontal division, right? It's a question of you need some sort of, right? So, so these rivers, the Nara, Nara, Upashtay, have in some ways burst their boundaries, right? If if Elchala, or Rabbi of Karastir's grave, or Uman, or Tilas Hashla, or, you know, or Parashas Haman, if these things were very, very local uh, phenomena, right? And now, like, you, you can, you and now you can, like, count, like, how many, you get dozens of WhatsApp reminders, and, you know, it's really it's burst its banks right the rivers have burst their banks so how do we process them as a community so you need to make a horizontal division because the vertical division has broken down because it's it's we're inundated with it so there's a horizontal division where does this come from did a right, so in um you know in, in Weiss gave a, a short shear on on Challah, and he's and he says over what the opter what the Apter Rebbe said about about Challah. and not he didn't say that he does it. He didn't say that you should do it. All he's saying is that don't bother this, the
1: people who do don't it. Don't
0: bother the people that do it. It's a it's a legit minhug, right? It's a real minhug. Why? Because the the Ap-dor-Rav said, the Ap-dor-Ebb said that this that you can do this. So god forbid to call it a, a dark mori. Um fine. And you have like even, you know, sometimes it's even more extreme like with the her right? You know, it, Apparently, you know, I don't know what his actual practices are, but, but we're, we're, it's reported that he makes havdalah on Tuesday. It's reported that he lives in his own time zone, right? That he, he, that he just doesn't have, he just doesn't have the same sort of thing. But it's like, but it's the amshinuver, and he's you know, and he's a kadosh, and therefore there's like a certain halo effect that he can get away with it. It reminds me of something that I saw in a Hungarian Mussar sefer that was published, I think, in the 1910s and 1920s about smoking, right? And it was. It was, really, it was really quite brilliant. I, I liked it a lot. Um, so it goes through and it says, smoking is bad. Why is smoking bad? Because it makes you smell. And it's Yuhara. And it's Bital Torah. And I guess even before they knew how bad it was for your health. Um, but then he has to contend with the fact that there are all kinds of Hasidish svarim that say that you know, when the Rebbe would smoke... I think they say that about the Sanzer, when, that when he would smoke, he would smoke on Arab Shabbos, and he had kavanas when he was smoking his pipe, uh, that he would, you know, that he, it was like the Kohen Gadol, being Makriv, wow. the Ketores, Lifnaiv, Lifnim, on Yom Kippur. It becomes an avoda. It becomes like a real thing. It's like, so how do you...
1: It, it's May 4th, not 420. <laughs> So, okay. so I think, Ellie, what you're touching on is what I hope to, to study more and to think more about in, in the coming years is what I think is one of the most important questions in contemporary halacha, which is who gets to be a shita, who gets to be a das yachid, and who's crazy, right? And that, that There's as many things that, that are generally accepted upon halacha culture, and then there's many sort of deviances from that. Now, some of them are called, you know, oh, that's their shita, they follow their hug. Um, you know, that's their day, uh, but, you know, mm-hmm. right? And then others are cast as and, and, and you know, and can't be dealt with. And, and to me, I think that's one of the most interesting things. What is the code, the, the unwritten code that is sort of helping people and, of course, different people make different assessments. But what is the code to that sort of distinction? To me, that's one of the most critical things to understand what we call halacha, or maybe orthodoxy or the way those two uh, relate, which I hope to give more attention to in the coming years.
0: Yeah, I think that's an, that's an interesting thing. And I've often said that, you know, Rav Usher Weiss can say a lot of things that, you know, Rav Avi Weiss, if, if he would say the same thing, like everybody would laugh him off. Um, they don't say the same things very often, but if they did, um, you know, I think, you know, to your example, if, you know, if people would report that Rav Chaim Kanievsky had an orange on his Seder plate, all of a sudden it would have the... It would have a a, a Um you know, and that as much as people like to think about halacha to use a you know a legal term, you know, as a, as a as a as a positivist phenomenon, it's very much not. Personal charisma really does. I don't want to say interfere because I don't think it's
1: generates. I think yeah,
0: generates. It's it's not a it's not a it's a feature. It's not a bug. Um, this is part of how this but, is part but of what makes halacha. I, mean, I would just
1: push that it's not just personal charisma. It's also. I wouldn't quite call it communal charisma, but but communal standing. In other words, it's not just Rebem, but it's also certain communities, right? Which communities or subcommunities have minhagim that are at least, you know, first they're tolerated, then they're respected, then they're emulated. And I think, you know, if you look at some of the examples we did, like that's the, the narrative, right? It's like tolerated, accepted, emulated. Who gets that and who doesn't, and, and how are those things decided?
0: You know, that reminds me... Uh, conclude with this one example that in some of the documents from early Hasidus, uh, especially the cherem the that was pronounced in the, city of, in the city of Brody in Galicia. In the text of it, it, you know, it it's, there were Hasidim that had started you know, various practices, and this cherem says that nobody is allowed to do certain things. Nobody is allowed to wear white on Shabbos unless you're a member of the cloys. And nobody is allowed to do, you know, Unless they're a mem- member of the Klois. right? So it wasn't just that today the Hasidim, you can barely
1: find in the like Ashkenaz anywhere.
0: Certainly not in Galicia. But uh, the you know part of what was going on there, it wasn't so much that the Hasidim were doing weird things and unprecedented things. It's just that you know the members of the Klois, first of all, they were known to be tremendous Talmidei Chachomim, and they were also known often for being somewhat eccentric. And you know the Klois was sort of like Elchanan Reiner and Ma'oz Kahana have written about how the Klois was like this. You know combination coilo where you can cultivate real learning, and also you had an institution where you can put some weirdos um and and so they were respected, but they were also kept at a distance and It was when commoners started saying like you know dressing in a certain way and speaking in a certain way and acting in a certain way It's like no, now you've overstepped your boundaries because you're not a member of the clay so it's it's a it's a horizontal division, right. and it's not a it's not a vertical division and I
1: think that the you know Communication and social media basically says there we're we're all in a cloy somewhere and that's why we get
0: I think these questions today. Uh, the echo chamber as cloys or the cloys as an echo chamber. Thank you very, very much, Professor Seyman for joining good. me. It always is. This is a conversation that's been going on for about thirty years and Mirza Shamit will continue for another, you know, for, for decades to come. And, uh, maybe you know.
1: someone will even listen.
0: Yeah. And so these were, you know, a little bit, you know, it was great to have an opportunity to, to have this conversation, uh, in a format that, uh, others could listen in and, uh, and enjoy.